This is the Neighborhood Conversations podcast. Today's sermon was originally recorded on August 13th. The scripture for this sermon is Matthew 14, 26-33. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. They were so frightened that they screamed. Just then Jesus spoke to them, Be encouraged. It's me. Don't be afraid. Peter replied, Lord, if it's you, order me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. Then Peter got out of the boat and was walking on the water toward Jesus. But when Peter saw the strong wind, he became frightened. As he began to sink, he shouted, Lord, rescue me. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him, saying, You man of weak faith, why did you begin to have doubts? When they got into the boat, the wind settled down. Then those in the boat worshipped Jesus and said, You must be God's son. Y'all can have a seat. I'm going to say two things. First, my mic feels real ringy to me. I'm just saying that out loud to the folks up there. Thank you. And number two, um, last night, Danny and I had the opportunity to stay up super late and watch the um, Perseid meteor meteor shower out at my parents' farm. Um, And so I'm running on, I don't know what, like two-thirds of a tank, but on purpose, do you know what I mean? And it was worth it. Um, but uh, if there's some things that you get sort of like floating away from my brain, that's why, because I was up at three in the morning looking at rocks burning across the sky. <laughs> but again, it was a grand adventure. Friends, will you pray with me this morning? Oh, gracious God, thank you. Thank you for the gift of a beautiful world and for the mystery of being able to encounter you in it. God, we can understand so much, and you show us many things, and there's so much that is beyond what we can understand. And that mystery is a part of the joy of being alive, always looking to experience and to explore and to discover and to try to understand step by step more about the world around us, but also more about the heart, your heart that made it, that made us. Oh, gracious God, I ask that you speak through me and in spite of me, that what we hear is your message to us and what we all understand is your deep abiding love and faith and trust that you have in us and for us. I ask these things in the name of Jesus, the one who is right here with us, always offering out a hand when we need it. And all God's people said, amen. Okay, so sometimes I think about Jesus as an ambivert. Do you know that term, right? So sometimes ambiverts are called extroverted introverts, right? Um, They're folks who love to be around people, but they still need to recharge their emotional batteries with quiet time alone. Anybody here an ambivert? Yeah. So there are two things that 
point to Jesus being an ambivert in our story for this morning. So in the verses before this passage, Jesus and the disciples have done the whole feeding of the 5,000 thing, right? So Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish and blessed them and broke them and gave them to the disciples to share with this massive crowd, and there's enough food for everyone. Very cool. (laughs) But that story begins with Jesus looking to be by himself. That's the very beginning of that story. He tries to get some alone time, and the crowds follow him to this remote location on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus, you know, feels for them. He has compassion for them, and he decides that he's going to hang out with them, and he heals the people, and he did his Jesus thing. But what that means is that what Jesus meant to be an off day (laughs) A day off suddenly becomes a work day, and this crowd of people were very far away from restaurants and DoorDash and all of that, so they had no food. So Jesus had to feed them. And so, you know, it had been a busy day. Um, you know, all that stuff happened in the passage before, all of the stuff that makes Jesus already tired. And at the beginning of our story for today, I love this. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. Okay, the word in Greek (laughs) says that Jesus compels, forces, or tosses the disciples into a boat on the Sea of Galilee. It is the best, okay? Can you imagine this? Just kind of like, just get into the boat. Jesus is kind of done. (laughs) Jesus is like, get into this dang boat. Like, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. I am toast. Anybody feel that? Yes. (laughs) Because Jesus, I think, is an ambivert, and Jesus loves the people and all of that, but also needs to recharge. So the second piece of evidence is that when the disciples get into this boat and they sail away, Jesus goes to a mountain to pray alone. Now, I'm an ambivert too, and after a few busy days of peopling, Being alone on a mountain, just like soaking up God love in prayer, just sounds like super groovy. Do you know that feeling? Like you just finally get a chance to sort of connect and recharge. Have you ever felt way down in the deepest parts of your being that you were so weary, so worn out, so drained, so soul tired, and the only thing that would help is to be alone for a while? I have, and my guess is that it's not just me. Jesus, at last, in the story, gets some Jesus alone time, and he reconnects with God on that mountain, and here's where our story gets interesting, okay? I think this is an Andy's personal theory, okay, an APT. Um, I think (laughs) that Jesus, after having the spiritual and emotional and physical time to recharge, becomes more joyfully himself. So we can think about that theologically maybe on the way home. You can send me an email or something. But I think that Jesus, after that reconnection and rest time, becomes more joyfully himself. So even tired Jesus, of course, can heal the sick and multiply the loaves and the fishes, but well-rested Jesus can walk on water. And that's what's happening in this story. While Jesus is up on the mountain, the disciples are in that boat. 
and the wind begins to pick up, and the waves start to build, and it is one of these sudden windstorms that the Sea of Galilee is known for. Now, here's what I think is real here. Many of the disciples are fisher folk. They're fisher people from the villages around the Sea of Galilee. So they know how to handle themselves on the water in a boat, and particularly this water, right? Like this is literally their like home water. And so instead of trying to land the boat and to wait out the storm, because they know that trying to land the boat during a storm means that you might smash your boat on the rocks. It's more dangerous to do that. It seems somewhat counterintuitive, but staying out on the water is actually safer because you can ride it out, right, on a boat. So that's what they're doing. They're riding it out, out in the ocean in this water. And after some hours of being out on the water, the Greek says in the fourth watch, which means between three and six in the morning, as a side note, when I was awake last night, anyway, um, <laughs> that's what we were doing. We were out in the fourth watch. There you go. The disciples are out in this boat riding out the storm in the middle of the night, and something happens that's outside of their previous experience. They see a figure walking on the water out towards them, and they're understandably frightened. They think it's a ghost, and they think that until they hear Jesus saying, take heart, it's me, don't be afraid. Okay, so at this point, this is where I start to have questions. <laughs> Like, if there is so much wind and strong waves, all of this motion on the water, Jesus isn't like walking on flat water, right? And I like the idea of Jesus, who is joyfully rested, um, just sort of sprinting up one side of a wave and then like sliding down the other side, sort of delighting in this experience. God does not seem, Jesus does not seem to be afraid in this story, right? The disciples, afraid. Jesus, not afraid. I would like to propose that a well-rested Jesus is, in fact, having fun. Think about that on the way home. So, as an aside, throughout Scripture, the image of stormy water is usually used to communicate primordial chaos. The disordered and the unpredictable and the dangerous power that God speaks to and invites into order and rhythm and generative beauty. Jesus walking on the water points to this, that God is not disturbed by the chaos. In fact, God in the person of Jesus delights in the creative work of ordering the chaos. It's what Jesus does. And in the book of Revelation, the image is extended at the end of all things. Before the throne of God is the sea, smooth, calm, flat, like glass, is the description. The work of God is to bring order to chaos, life where there is death and decay, calm where there is fear. But back to our story. The disciples see this figure, and they are scared, and they think that they are seeing a ghost, and so they scream, but Peter hears that it's Jesus, and for some reason, Peter decides, I'd like to do that too. And he says, if it is you, Lord, 
command me to come to you on the water. And because it is Jesus, Jesus says, well, come out here then. But why on earth would Peter do this? Now, pastor and author Rob Bell helped me to see this passage differently. Here is what Rob Bell says in his video entitled, Dust. Jesus is a rabbi, of course, and throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus meeting people, often young people, inviting them to follow him. Now, this might seem to be a casual invitation, but what Jesus is doing is inviting these young people to become his formal disciples, right? To travel with him and to learn from him as a rabbi so that someday they might be a rabbi like him and do what he is able to do. This is how the work of teaching and learning worked for rabbis in that time of Jesus. Disciples are students of a teacher, and so the the disciples in the Gospels are observing Jesus closely. They're trying to learn from him. They're asking questions. Now, how did you do that? What did that mean? And all of this is so that they can learn how to be like their rabbi and do the things that their rabbi does. So Peter, seeing that his rabbi is walking on the water, he says, if it's you, rabbi, command me to also walk on the water. Peter wants to do what his rabbi is doing because he wants to be like his rabbi. But here's the deal. When Jesus is out there calling these disciples, from what we know of the text and in the stories, we know that many of them already had jobs, right? They were fishermen or they were tax collectors, they were whatever else, which means that these folks had been passed over at an early age by rabbis because they couldn't cut it. Young Jewish men would be taught to read and to memorize passages from the Torah, and those that excelled in memorization, recitation, interpretation would be invited to continue their studies and eventually to memorize the whole of the Hebrew Bible. And the best of the best would continue on in their studies, and they would learn the tradition of other rabbis, and only the best of the best of the best would be invited by a rabbi to follow that person to become disciples and to learn to do what that rabbi does. So all along the way, the folks that didn't excel would drop out. And they would take up other trades, carpentry, or fishing, or farming. Peter and just about all of the other disciples were fishermen, which means that they couldn't cut it with a rabbi. They had flunked out of the rabbinical pipeline. But for some strange and holy reason, Jesus finds these young people, and he calls them to be his disciples, to follow him, and to learn from him to do what he does. Because Jesus believes in them. He knows, he trusts, he believes that they can do the things that he does. So when Peter wants to walk on the water, he wants to try this because he sees what Jesus is able to do. And Jesus believes in Peter. Jesus knows that Peter can do it. And he knows that Peter can do it if 
Peter also trusts in Peter's own full and joyful self. And Peter steps out of the boat, and he does it. He actually does it for a while. That's the coolest part of this story. Peter does walk on the water, but then the wind and the waves start to scare him, and he starts to sink, but he doesn't drop like a rock. He just starts to sink down a little bit, and he cries out to Jesus to rescue him, and Jesus, of course, does, and he pulls the both of them into this boat, and Jesus, I, I hear it gently. It's teasing. It's, it's not mean. It's light. I want you to hold it that way. He chides Jesus in this, he chides Peter in this playful way. You, you weak faith guy. I mean, come on, dude. Like, why did you start to doubt you were doing it? And some preachers have, you know, made this about Peter's lack of faith in Jesus, right? That's an often interpretive angle. Like he didn't believe in Jesus enough, and that's why he starts to sink. But, but that's not what Jesus says. Jesus just says, why did you start to doubt? And I think the implication is that he's adding, why did you start to doubt yourself? You were doing it because Jesus believes that Peter can do the things that Jesus can do and will when Peter is ready. Okay, so neighbors, this whole thing is supposed to be a Jesus and Ted Lasso series, okay? (laughs) And so let's bring Ted into this conversation. Um, So I will confess to you that sort of like Kylan, (laughs) um, I have seen precisely two episodes of Ted Lasso. Um, So (laughs) I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. Yeah, gasp. Clutch the pearls, okay? (laughs) And I know, th- I know that it's delightful. That first taste kind of got me ready for it. And I have access to YouTube. So, like, I've seen clips. But be not afraid, neighbors. I have come not to spoil anything. <laughs> because I can't. <laughs> Maybe don't spoil it for me, right? Like, I mean, I have, to ge- I have guesses as to where the show goes. Um, but I'd- I really don't know how it ends. I mean, is, is Ted Lasso a ghost the whole time? like in the sixth sense, is that he was, he was dead the whole time? Is that, okay, cool. As long as it's not that, then you're like, it's probably closer to that than you know, Andy. Okay, anyway, please don't tell me if I guessed it right. I'm just, okay. <laughs> but what I do know about Ted Lasso is that Ted Lasso seems to be relentless in his gentle, humble, positive belief in the fundamental goodness of people. Yeah, he has his own relationship and personal issues. Who doesn't? But at his core, he believes in the capacity of individuals and the capacity of his team in his circle, which is wider than just the football players on the pitch. So early in the show, in one of the episodes that I, in fact, have seen, Ted writes one word on a big yellow piece of paper, and he tapes it above, I think, the door to his office in the locker room, and the one word is believe. And this word is like a theme and a thread throughout the show because it underscores the fundamental trust in the capacity of people that Ted embodies. 
and the hope that he has that people can show up as their fullest selves in their lives. Ted believes that his team can show up for and with each other and work together to meet the challenges of their matches and their life situations. And at one point, he says, after a key player has left the team, I believe that the fellows we have here are all we need to win. Do you believe it? Ted Lasso knows that belief itself the energy of deep knowing, of a deep trust that something can be accomplished even when it seems to be impossible. It's powerful, and it does something to people. As Ted puts it, I believe in belief. But what does that mean exactly? Ted goes on to say elsewhere, he believes that I matter regardless of what I achieve. I believe that I deserve love even if I hurt other people or have been hurt by other people. I have hope that I can get better. I believe that belief in itself is fundamental to being alive. This kind of belief, this Belief that people are inherently valuable and lovable and capable even when we mess up or are hurt or are scared. This belief that people can grow and change and blossom, this seems to be so, so close to what Jesus is sharing with his team, the disciples. Ted says, success is not about wins and losses. It's about helping everyone be the best versions of themselves. And y'all, I think this is what Jesus is saying. When he extends his hand to Peter and lifts him from sinking in those waves, Peter would not have succeeded on walking on the water, you know, if he had run a mile on top of the waves. Peter succeeded the moment he believed that he could be the best version of himself, and he would continue in that success as long as he held to a deep trust and hope and belief in what he could do and who he could become. Y'all, there is a saying that I love and I treasure. It's offered by Saint Irenaeus of Lyon from way back in the second century. That I'll modify to be a little bit more expansive, but Irenaeus said, the glory of God is human beings fully alive. God became a human being in Jesus so that we human beings might become more like God. This is the fundamental belief that God has in us, a belief and a trust in our capacity to expand, to grow, to blossom, into our fullest potential and our truest selves. Jesus wandered the dusty roads of Palestine, healing and teaching and feeding and walking on the water in part to show us what full humanity looks like. And the fundamental belief of Jesus, our rabbi, is that we can also do the things that our rabbi does. We don't do them alone or to gain power over others or to extend our personal brands or agendas or something like that, but because God in Jesus trusts that we can 
put aside our fear and our hurt, and we can be more. We can be fuller. We can be more true and beautiful and alive together. Y'all, in a moment and in a season when so much feels chaotic in this boat called the church and on this ship called earth, Jesus comes to us skipping on the water unafraid, full of grace and truth and love. Jesus invites us to also release our fear and our uncertainty and to do what seems on the outside to be both impossible and foolish, to step lightly on the chaos and to live our fullest selves radiant with our joy and love and beauty. Y'all, we can build a beloved community where all are valued and encouraged to be our true selves and where everyone has what we need to thrive. And we are doing this together. All of us, all of us, all of us, linked in hand or heart, stepping forward out into We can do this, y'all. I believe in you. I believe in me. I believe in us. I believe in belief. I believe that more is possible. I believe that good has already won. I believe a future is already unfolding with more love and fullness and beauty. I believe that we can bring glory to God and be fully and truly alive together. And you know what? Jesus believes this too. Amen and amen. Neighborhood Conversations, produced by Neighborhood Church in Atlanta, Georgia. You can learn more about us at neighborhoodchurchatl.com, and on our website you can find links to our weekly live streams, and you can find out what's going on in the neighborhood. Find us on social media, and don't forget to subscribe. Peace be with you.